Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. We will forgive $10,000 in outstanding federal student loans. The Biden administration's forgiveness of student loan debt. So what does it all mean for black American students and alumni? We get into it. This is huge. It's a game changer. Then it's time to take accountability. Hip hop under fire from the court of public opinion and the court of law, the legal battle to protect artists from lyrics from working against them in the courtroom. The court of law doesn't include rap lyrics. Kennedy Rue on the VMA's red carpet where folks are giving us their best Nicki Minaj bars. And with election day less than 70 days away, arming up for change as our Teslin Figaro gets you geared up to make choices that affect us all. All that and more as God did, Revolt did. The Black News Revolution starts right now. to Lil Nas X to the video vanguard vixen of the night, Nicki Minaj. We've got you covered at the VMAs from Brick City. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Kennedy Rue. We have all that coming up, but for now, Rochelle, it's all you. Definitely looking forward to that, Kennedy. Hey everyone, I'm guest host Rochelle Ritchie. We begin with the student loan debt relief package announced by the Biden administration. Now the plan is to cancel up to $20,000 in student loan debt for people making less than $125,000 a year. It's become a hot debate across social media. So what does it all mean for black American students and alumni caught in the middle? We break it down in tonight's top story. We will forgive $10,000 in outstanding federal student loans. I believe it is literally the most comprehensive, far-reaching initiative on student debt relief in American history. President Joe Biden's student loan relief cancels debt for individuals making less than $125,000 a year or couples making less than $250,000 a year. The plan also provides up to $20,000 in relief for Pell Grant borrowers, which comprise over 60% of black students who carry federal debt. Both of these targeted actions are for families who need it the most. Working and middle-class people hit especially hard during the pandemic. This is huge. It's a game changer. Up to 43 million people will be eligible for student loan debt cancellation. Since 2000, the cost of a college degree has risen 600%, significantly increasing the burden of low-income students. Consequently, while in 2013, U.S. student loan debt was $1.4 trillion, today that number has risen to $1.75 trillion. After I graduate, I'll have $35,000 in debt. Currently, I have $65,000 of student debt, and I'll graduate with close to $100,000 of student debt. Most affected? Black borrowers, who according to federal education data, on average carry $40,000 in student loan debt, $10,000 more than white borrowers. My parents paid, I got grants, I got scholarships, I got all of that, and I still owe 
you know, this huge amount of money. The president often says that he got it started at Delaware State University, a HBCU in this country. So he is keenly aware of the burden and especially black and brown students bear when it comes to trying to fulfill their dream of a college education. We've done some uh, quick back the envelope analysis on how it impacts HBCUs. It could be upwards of about $15 billion in debt relief for 1.1 million HBCU alum. So I cannot emphasize enough the importance of this action, the fact that it is generating um, real opportunity and support for those uh, who need it most uh, shouldn't be treated lightly. I think that uh, President Biden has made a claim relative to college affordability and student uh, debt burden um, that is unmistakable and will force the discussion, elevate the discussion, and elevate continued action along both these lines. Here to join me are Democratic analyst Jonathan Harris and Director of Diversity for the Indiana GOP, Whitley Yates. Thank you both for joining us. Now, Whitley, I'm going to start with you. When you look at the recent announcement from the president, right, this was a campaign promise that he was going to eliminate student loans. Do you think that he's gone mm -hmm. far enough? I do not think that he's gone far enough. I think when we're looking at this and how economists have seen it is that this will actually worsen economic inequality. When nearly two thirds of all student loan debt is owned by the top 40% and the Wharton School of Business is saying that 70% of all student loan forgiveness will go to the top 60%, we know that black people are not within this category. Once again, I think this is something that is performative. This is no policy behind it. And it really doesn't address the root cause of the root issue, which is that the cost of college has increased 169% since 1980. That's the real issue, and we don't have any policy to back it up. So this is this is performative to me and doesn't actually address the real issue. Jonathan, what's your response to Willie thinking that this is performative? It's surprising. I mean, uh, we're seeing uh, Democrats voting for someone, people who are working class Americans, who voted for someone saying we needed help and him delivering, and delivering in a, in a record time, I might add. Um, we know that black women make up the majority of student loan bar borrowers that owe the most debt, that have the most debt. And this is going to benefit them uh, a tremendous amount. So I think calling this performative is, is very dismissive. We know that student loan debt was a huge barrier to home ownership. So this is also a step toward the American dream for a lot of people who are barred from it. So uh, I would say definitely far from uh, performative. You know, it's interesting because when you think about it, the NAACP actually wanted $50,000. You have uh, Raphael Warnock right here in Georgia. His plan is to eliminate $50,000 worth. I don't know if the $10,000 to $20,000 is really going to put a dent in this, Whitley. And that's exactly what I would say. It's it's like throwing a water bottle at a forest fire. Like, yeah, you're going to take the water. I guess it's going to help. But the truth is, we need actual policy that addresses the root cause and the root issue. And when you see a majority of the borrowers or a majority of the people who are going to be recipients of this are not people of color, it is not the black community. And then when you look at our degrees that are being... Um, they're not the same, right? You get an MBA from Harvard as a black person, an MBA from Harvard as a white person, and you're paid five to $100,000 less over 10 years. We're trying to decrease the wealth gap. And I think that this is just a Band-Aid. It's performative. People will take it because they need it. 
But is it really going to impact the black community and make the changes necessary? I don't believe so. And Jonathan, what's your response? Because there's there's some critics, and, and I'm going to come to you, but what's your response to the critics and obviously to what Whit Whitley said about people that say this whole student loan debt cancellation needs to be focused on wealth, not wages, because black people are still dealing with wage discrimination? Right. Well, I would say, I mean, what Rome isn't built in a day. Right. So the issues that we have in this country are multi-layered. We, we can talk about racism. We can talk about wealth inequality. We can talk about all those things. And they're all things that need to be uh, addressed. But if you're drowning and I throw you a life preserver, you're going to take the life preserver. And it's like, hey, hang on. We're trying to get you some more help. But let me toss this to you right now because I can see that you're drowning. I mean, COVID put people who were already struggling much further into debt. I have a hard time with hearing People are going to take it because they need it, but it's also performative. So, yes, absolutely, we need to address wealth inequality, racism. I mean, in most nations like ours, college is taxpayer-funded. So there's a much deeper issue, but this is a life preserver. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. It's intention versus execution. His intention is great, but the execution isn't. And the truth of the matter is, where we are in this society, as a Black community, we're consistently given crumbs and said, well, at least you have crumbs, so eat the crumbs to sustain yourself. And so if we are going to continue to settle for crumbs, then our elected officials and those in positions of power will not produce policies that impact us and will consistently give us the crumbs, like a $10,000 crumb, when they know that they need to redo the entire system that consistently impacts the black community in ways that is disproportionate to all other minority groups in America. So we shouldn't have done anything because you want the entire system changed? What I'm saying is be more intentional about the policies that are put in place. This isn't even a policy, by the way. This is just, this is a presidential executive order here. There, there are no policies to change. So my daughter, who's going to go into school, is not going to benefit from this. So, so what I'm saying is <laughs> the intentionality is great, but the execution is lacking. And so as I think the it's... president who has pushed for equity, has pushed for equity in all of the areas, I don't see this policy or this, this executive order as being... So, Billy, let me give Jonathan One the final the word. Go ahead, Jonathan. You have to understand the concept of generational wealth and how that's passed down. And then you also have to understand the concept of generational debt and how that's passed down. What he just did was swift and it was very helpful. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And I'm glad he did it. And it does affect black Americans as well as all working class Americans. And so absolutely does help these people. All right. So Jonathan and Whitley, I want to thank you so much for this debate. Obviously, it's a start, but it's definitely not the finish line. Thank you again for joining us. Now, coming up, hip hop on trial and the new law to protect lyrics from the legal system. We get into it. Continue the conversation about hip-hop lyrics being used in the court of law as some of the biggest names from Young Thug and Gunna face a backlash over their art form. Now, new legislation is being introduced to protect artists, but there are differing opinions over free speech. I think it's an attack on our culture. I think it's an attack on hip-hop. There's no other um, creative expression, whether it's TV, film, uh, or, or music outside of hip-hop that's being targeted and attacked uh, in this way. I done did the robbing, 
Young Thug born Jeffrey Lamar Williams and fellow Atlanta rapper Gunna, along with over two dozen other members of their YSL collective, were arrested in May on charges of gang activity. Their lyrics from hit songs, Just How It Is, and Take It to Trial, are being used against them by Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. I just think it's, it's, it's systemic. Uh, I think our justice system has always shown that um, that the, the, the arc doesn't bend towards truth. It, it, bend toward, it bends toward discrimination. Hundreds of prosecutors across the country have used violent lyrics as evidence of possible criminal activity, such as in the case of Virginia rapper Antoine Stewart, a.k.a. Twain Gotti, three shots, three shots, he shot this boy, whose lyrics were used as an admission of murdering two men in 2007. It's a rap song that you sang way back then. They say, everybody saw me when I choked him, but nobody saw me when I smoked him. What did that got to do with any murder that you just threw at me? When I was uh, in interrogation, that's the first thing he threw at me. The detective threw that at me. He's saying, you know, I got every song you ever made, but I ain't know nothing he was talking about. Stewart was acquitted of the murders in 2014, but was sentenced to 16 years for weapons charges. They might not even be doing the things they're talking about, but the fact that that they're holding um, hip hop artists accountable for their lyrics um, is just, I believe it's unconstitutional. Tones only get busy with them clocks. Try to run down and you could catch a shot. In response, California recently voted to adopt a bill that would limit the use of rap lyrics as evidence. And in New York, the bill Rap Music on Trial has been approved by the state Senate. If passed, prosecutors will be forced to show that lyrics are actually proof of a crime before being shown to a jury. We have to defend them. If not, it's just going to keep going and going. It's going to be no stopping. I want to change the narrative of um, a black man. In my America, I, I believe we can uh, exist as all people of all, all races. In my America, I think we can have laws that are uh, uh, actually uh, justice for, for all. Hey y'all, so here with us today, artist and entertainer, Nisha Nice, and host of the Big Homie's House podcast, The Big Homie Kodak. Thank y'all so much for being with us here on Revolt so we can get into this really important conversation. So Nisha, I wanna start with you. What are your thoughts on rappers criminalizing themselves through their music? Um, it's one thing to practice the First Amendment and that right of freedom of speech but it's another thing to incriminate yourself and basically blatantly put out exactly what you say you are doing. I understand people wanna have stripes and they wanna look a certain way um, in the community and they wanna look like the, the top G and the, you know, the this and the that, but it is consequences that come with that. If you say this is what you told them, you say you running in houses and you got bodies, the court of law is gonna hold you accountable. And it's sad to say, but it's coming to a time where the frequency needs to change. Music and hip hop needs to get back to higher infinite power, healing our people. It needs to get back to the elements of what it is and what it was created for. That's really how I feel, Queen. I'm passionate about it, huh? Yeah, I see, I see. So Kodak, what's your response to that? I mean, do you think that rappers should really face criminalization for things that they are saying in their song? Because some people might say, look, a lot of people say stuff in their music that's not necessarily true and stuff that they never actually really did. Yeah. Um, 
I got to say, I definitely agree that um, if these people are committing these crimes and it's being put in the raps, I feel like at that point you're just gloating. But I also feel like you should not, rap should be taken at face value. Just because somebody put something in their song doesn't mean it's true. You need to, if the, the, the court of law has to actually find evidence to convict somebody, that doesn't include rap lyrics. Because if I am, if I'm an artist and I'm an entertainer, I may be rapping about things that I may have seen or may have been around. That doesn't particularly mean that I'm committing these crimes. Now I feel like rap is the only genre of music where this is um, this applies to because if you listen to pop, you listen to country, you listen to anything else. Even Dolly Parton has music about whacking people, but we're not Dolly Parton's crew is not being uh, brought up brought in on RICO charges. I feel like we need to treat the music that rappers are putting out, it's art. Is it art? I mean, because, and I wonder, like, is it possible that by sort of censoring rap lyrics now, because that's what's going to end up basically happening, because nobody wants to go to jail for something that they said in a song, is going to get in the way of their creativity. Because people think it's rap as, as an art, and artists are supposed to be creative. Does it get in the way of that? It comes down to when we look at the influence of the hip-hop culture, I always say, you know, people always want to consume our culture in time is, until it's time to face the consequences. So I do think it will affect it, but I do think it's time for artists to think outside of the box. It's time to be creative outside of your pain. When do we get to a point where we are more than just a product of our environment? It's time to talk about something else. Jay-Z has done it. He's made that look cool to be a billionaire, to be a boss, to be melanated and to be elevated. We need, it's, it, enough is enough. I'm, I'm ready for the creativity to come back. So you're tired, you're tired of the violence pretty much. I am, I am. We gotta do something different. And this is why, uh, you know, the, this is, the game is in a state of emergency the way that it is. Because the world is changing, the frequency is changing. The elevation is yeah. changing. Music is the biggest form of mind control. So we need to take it serious. We do. We absolutely need to. And Kodak, how do we balance the difference between artistic expression and then boasting about criminal activity? Listen, I, I hear what you're saying about Jay-Z, but everybody's not Jay-Z. You know, you have artists that are still coming from the trenches, that are still talking about the things that they're still living through and trying to survive. So you can't try to silence those artists say, hey, this is, even though this is your environment, you can't really talk about that too much because what, what is their subject matter going to be? You know, and I, for one, I don't want to listen to J. Cole and Jay-Z every song. I want to hear something that's, I want to hear that. You want to hear the grittiness. I want to <laughs> he, hear the grittiness and I want to hear the, I want to hear the trench music. I want to hear the 21 Savage. I want to hear the Young Nudie. I want to hear the T.I. I don't want everything I, I listen to. It doesn't need to be mentally stimulating. I want to hear something that, that, that will get me through my day. What, what can I listen to while I'm riding through Atlanta traffic? <laughs> now, I, all of this music deserves to exist. Yeah. We don't, we don't have to put a cap on the amount of, um, I, I guess, aggressive music that we listen to. So 21 Savage has his place in hip-hop. Jay-Z has his place. They don't have, we don't have to cut either of them off.
We don't. All right. So we need does, to find another way to do it, though. Yeah, so we, we have to find the balance. So where we, we have, have the mental simulation, but like also allow too. people to have that that grittiness and that that hardcore trap that we all love. I come from the the, the grittiness as well, so Absolutely. I understand it. All right. But we got to find that balance. Well, Nisha Kodak, thank you so much for joining us. Moving on to the headlines beyond our borders. Is it time to break out that passport as we go black all over the world? First stop, Nigeria. We wonder why our black men and boys have been so whitewashed. We wonder why. When they turn off the, on that TV, it's white they see. When they are on their phone, it's white they see. A new law has brought a new sense of pride to the land of beauty. New legislation now bans the use of hiring foreign models in TV and voiceover ads. We have over 200 million faces or models in Nigeria. Each and every one of us, naturally, we are models. Even if we have not chosen that, we have over 200 voices in our country. The decision has caused much debate. Critics call this legislation a form of reverse racism, while others are celebrating the chance for local talent to shine and boost the country's economy. And what this means is more money or the bulk of Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This stays here. The new law goes into effect on October 1st. Next, we head to Tigray as trouble erupts once again after a brief ceasefire between Prime Minister Abiy Ahmad's government and the rebellious People's Liberation Front. Violence broke out after an air raid took aim at a kindergarten classroom, which killed four people, including two children. So far, no one has claimed responsibility as tension continues to grow. Tigrayan rebels are on the move, targeting the country's military in North Ethiopia. According to reports, the outlaws have seized towns once protected by the Ethiopian army. My strong appeal is for an immediate cessation of hostilities and for the resumption of peace talks. The people of Ethiopia continue to struggle with hunger issues, and many of its people have been displaced. I can tell you that the humanitarian crisis in Tigray is more than Ukraine. And I said it many months ago, maybe the reason is the color of the skin of the people in Tigray. Last stop, we land in the dangerous roadless Darien Gap in between the border of Panama and Cuba. I'm not with my family, but I'm with friends. But we didn't have it easy. It's not easy. It's a journey between life and death. Call it the migrant escape. Many making this journey to the United States are encountering what is often called the green hell. The migrants face tumultuous conditions in their quest for freedom, including robberies, infectious diseases, and even death. As they make it to the end of the Darien Gap, the migrants are met by doctors and UNICEF who are very concerned about the physical condition of those who survived the passage. We'll continue to stay on top of these stories. Keep it right here. There's much more Revolt Black News Weekly right after the break. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Kennedy Rue here on the VMA carpet with all your entertainment headlines, including the Snoop and Eminem collab and all things trending in the remix.
Allen. God did is expected. God did. Revolt did. Puff did. Oh, you think it's a game, huh? The love is felt. I gotta do my intro. They ain't believing us. You know, revolt is us. I was walking. They said revolt. I ran back. Thank you. I ran back. Here are Offset and DJ Khaled. With just minutes before introducing the VMA's first award of the night, DJ Khaled came rushing back outside making a beeline to give Revolt some black carpet respect. It means something. Yo, I ran. He said, Revolt, I was out that way. I ran back. <laughs> yes. They ain't believing us. Revolt did. This shit need to be Revolt's promo. Duly noted, Khaled, and that hilarious 10-second stare-down exit is hands down our number one moment of the night. Lotto, tell me what it was like to perform with Mariah at the beat. Like, that was a huge moment. Girl, I'm still, like, I'm still in shock. I could be a fantasy. BT, give it up for the one and only Mariah Carey. It's summer 2022's hottest collaboration. Lotto's surprise BET Awards Big Energy Mariah performance still giving her goosebumps. Like sometimes I'll just watch the uh, the little YouTube clip and I'll be like, that's really me. That's really me. <laughs> you gotta give yourself your flowers, girl. Yeah, I'm soaking it in. Who haven't you gotten a chance to work with yet that you'd like to work with? You know, girl, none other than the Nicki Minaj. Yeah. Yeah. Finish the lyric, Lotto. Got that boom, ba doom, boom, boom, ba doom, boom, bass. That super bass. Boom, ba doom, boom, boom, ba doom, boom, bass. Somebody please tell me who the F I is. I am Nicki Minaj. The Michael Jackson Vanguard recipient and best hip hop video winner acknowledged a number of icons during her VMA return, including our chairman Diddy. But the super freaky girl also made news, putting her past behind her, thanking two superstars she's had public feuds with. Mariah Carey, Taylor Swift, who had a huge part in uh, the success of Superbase. And now, to the bitches that got something to say about me in the press. And winner Lizzo shut down her critics, refusing to go down the feud route after comedian Ari Spears' crude comments about her weight went viral. I'm not gonna say nothing. They be like, Lizzo, why don't you clap back? Why don't you clap back? Cause bitch, I'm winning, ho. Hello, MTV. Also winning the night's celebrated collaborations. Fergie opening the show in this Jack Harlow first class glamorous medley. But not to be outdone, Snoop and Eminem lit one up, burning up the VMA stage. Making MTV history, country superstar Kane Brown. The chart topper becoming the first male country star to ever perform at the VMAs. With you, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen having success in the industry, do you feel like that's opening the door for more people that look like us to have a lane in country music? Yeah, definitely. Um, and not, not even just us, uh, Hispanics as well, um, and everybody. I feel like country music starting to really, really get broadened. And that's why I'm kind of here today. I'm not singing a country song, but hopefully the audience says, oh, he's a country artist. Uh, and they just go down a rabbit hole and start to, you know, seeing more people. And scoring a three-peat, Lil Nas X tweeted he was drunk when taking home his Moon Man trio. And this one is for the champions. Before his win, Lil Nas X continued to prove he's a rising star in fashion, wearing a flamboyant feathered headpiece and skirt designed by Harris Reed. 
Reed is also the brains behind Beyonce's recent British Vogue look. Nikki and Lizzo both had three wardrobe changes while it only took one for Chloe Bailey to stun us in six inch heels and a sparkly silver number. Can you give me the details on this outfit? Absolutely, so first detail, my teeth are by Alligator Jesus. They're amazing, best grills in the game. Lotto's leather micro mini and Carrie Colby's pink hair and red hot barely there ensemble spiced up MTV's biggest night. I'm Rocky up in this fight. <clears throat> Rocky didn't win. But he did win in Rocky, too. Regina Hall finds religion alongside Sterling K. Brown in their satire about a preacher and his wife bouncing back after scandal in Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul in theaters Friday. I know that the movie is a comedy, but it does touch on some very serious issues within the church, such as greed, homophobia, sexual misconduct. And I'm just curious as to how do you think this movie will speak, speak to Gen Zers who are a little bit cynical right now about the church. I think what the movie does encourage or should encourage is conversation. Ultimately, the most important relationship with God is your own. At the Oscars, you had mentioned that you're still single. And I'm just curious, did anybody start to slide in your DMs after you made that huge announcement on uh, on the Oscars? Unfortunately, I don't really check my DMs. <laughs> I, know, I, I know when DMs first started, I think I opened them once or twice and I got I got a couple of naked pictures. I saw a too many, and I was like, well, I, really? just can't, I can't just keep opening up looking at penises. Moving on to the legal headlines, beginning with the 26 alleged gang members indicted on RICO charges for celebrity home invasions across Metro Atlanta. That tops our coverage of who's in the system. When I heard the boom, when I heard my nephew scream, and I knew that scream was a scream of fear, my heart dropped. Up first in Atlanta, a 220-count indictment names 26 alleged gang members connected to a string of burglaries and home invasions. The investigation identifies Jeremy Caldwell as the ringleader responsible for the burglary and home invasion business of the drug-rich gang. According to arrest warrants, Caldwell is facing 82 charges. One of the things the investigators realized is they're immediately going to closets. They're immediately going to bedrooms. They know where these high-end items are. Singer Mariah Carey and Real Housewives of Atlanta star Marlo Hampton are two of the most recent victims. According to the indictment, the crime started as early as 2017. More money moves for Jay-Z. A six-year legal battle between Hove and Parlux Fragrances has officially come to an end. A Manhattan Supreme Court judge ruled for Parlux to pay the rapper and business mogul $6.78 million in unpaid royalties, along with interest, after Jay-Z countersued the company for a cologne deal that went wrong. Parlux claims Jay-Z failed to promote the brand in its initial lawsuit against the star. Shifting gears to a murder investigation involving OnlyFans model Courtney Clinney, who is facing charges for fatally stabbing Christian Obumselli in the chest during a fight back in April. Earlier this week, Clinney was denied bond after being extradited from Hawaii to Florida to face murder charges. Before announcing her arrest, prosecutors released surveillance footage from the building elevator that appeared to show her... Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? 
Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Repeatedly hitting her boyfriend. We'll stay on top of these cases. Keep it right here. We've got much more Revolt Black News Weekly straight ahead. Welcome back. We continue with our Stand Up For series, and we are focusing on the state of black college students in America and a teacher who is unapologetic about setting his students up for success. My name is Michael Sorrell. I'm the president at Paul Quinn College in Dallas, Texas. The state of higher education for students of color is a complicated one because being a student of color in America is a complicated situation. And you cannot separate the plight of our people in America from the plight of our students. Our students are attending schools where people are challenging the very essence of their history. So. If you ask me what's the state of education for black students, I'd ask you, what's the state of America for black students? Because they are undeniably intertwined. So I want everyone to be rich. I am unapologetic about my goals that all my students lead lives of financial security. Here at Paul Quinn, we have four forms of education. Our students have subject matter mastery expertise, which is what they major in. They have experiential learning expertise, which is the corporate work program. Every student at Paul Quinn gets an internship. The third pillar is our certification program. The last leg of our pillar is entrepreneurship. Every student must create a business plan and pitch their business for themselves. To sustainably remove yourself from poverty, you have to develop your mind because that's your ticket. I don't care how old you are, there is something that shakes you to your core. And you got to own that because that's where conquering fear comes from. It's facing that fear. Then also understand that your life will only be as large as the fear you choose to conquer. Stare your fear in the face, in the eye, and you have to say, I'm going to be better than you today. That's where it starts. You own it, you acknowledge it, and use it as a motivational tool. The single greatest leadership advice I have ever been given. You should never lead people that you cannot love. Leading with love is a humbling experience. It means to tap into that part of you that responds to compassion, that responds to empathy, that responds frankly, to love. We have to be people grounded in the idea that what we do matters for more than just us. There's this great saying, 
People will never, ever remember everything that you do. They will always remember how you made them feel. Make people know that they're loved. The Quinn Nation is thriving, leading from wherever they are, and they are changing lives by living a life that matters and continuing to empower our youth. Now, as we talk about empowerment, we are less than 70 days away from the all-important midterm elections. It's a critical time for candidates on both sides. So how do we empower the black community and make well-informed decisions when casting our ballots? Joining me is political contributor Teslin Figaro, who pushes the line with her unapologetic, nonpartisan political boot camp, which is happening right here in ATL. Teslin, thank you so much for being here with us. It's always great to be with you, Rochelle. Thank you so much. All right, great. So, Tess, briefly share what the goal is for the weekend. I mean, what is this about and why is it so critical when we're thinking about the midterms? The number one question that I get is, how can I help my community? And although we have great panels and interviews and summits and, you know, all types of activities where people can learn what the problem is, there are not enough opportunities to learn what the solution is. And so I have uh, put together a bootcamp training for my experience in recruiting and training in the corporate world, as well as uh, in the political space to really bring folks together for a free uh, training that we'll be hosting at the beautiful Cobb Convention Center in Atlanta, Georgia on September 10th, so that folks can really come and learn how to organize in a nonpartisan way. When I say nonpartisan, I mean nonpartisan. There's a lot of trainings out there that they all say nonpartisan, but then it, at the end of the training, you still feel like there's been an agenda that has been pushed. And I've been a part of many of those trainings, and they're great trainings. It's no shade to them. But what I found, what has been missing, is number one, a way to be powered by hip hop. Uh, we're using a lot of hip hop uh, music and inspiration throughout the day, but also getting down to the core. Uh, components of what it means to be a candidate, an operative, or an organizer. There'll be three different tracks that people can sign up for. If they feel like they want to be a candidate, that will have a class separate for them. If they want to be an operative, which means work on the campaign, a campaign manager, a volunteer coordinator, paid or unpaid, or an organizer. And that's been the most popular one, um, Rochelle, because people feel like they want to organize something. They don't know what that is. That could be pushing uh, reparations. It could be pushing health care reform. It could be pushing mass incarceration. Or it could be something as simple as we want a new park in our community and we don't know where to get started. There's like so many different issues. And, and I want to make sure we get even more information from you, Tess. So what is it that you want our young people, especially our Gen Z generation, to pay attention to as we approach Election Day? Because a lot of them are not really politically influenced at all. It has to be a consistent engagement year round, year over year, constantly having information on how to empower yourselves. So if I had a message to young folks, it would be that if you're not pleased on what you see, and I'm not talking about just young, young, old, in the middle, if you are not pleased at what you see, then push the line. Politics until something happens is what push means. Get in the game and say, I don't like this candidate, so I'm going to run myself. I may not win, but I'm going to run until I keep winning. Or I like this candidate, and I don't want to be a candidate, but I want to help them win. Or I just want to do something in my community, whether it's just organizing a better school system that protects uh, students while they're in school. So it could be anything. And I'm so excited to have youth who are attending as young as 14, 15, all the way up to our senior citizens. This is not geared towards one age demographic. It is really geared towards those that have not had access to at least national training level 
of, uh, of information they can take back to their community. People are coming from all over Georgia and all over the country, to be quite honest with you. And these tools can be implemented anywhere year round. So Teslin, how we live in a social media info world. I mean, a lot of people are getting their information off of social media. Some, a lot of it sometimes is wrong. How critical is it to pay attention to what's being put out in these social media spaces and then sort of combating the fake news that we see? Well, I mean, it's critically important, but if people don't know how to do it and they don't know how to uh, debate an argument, for example, today I was in a Twitter space and uh, they were talking about black men and the, the negative narratives about black men. And there were some great arguments in there. And I, I chimed in to say, you have to make sure that when you're talking about our stats, that you're saying disproportionately. Well, they don't know that if they haven't been exposed to what it means to do national commentary, what I've done, you know, at Fox News or other opportunities that we've had. They have to have access to that. And everybody, there's not a class to necessarily train people on how do you push the line? How do you debate your issue? How do you show up? And so some of this is on um, individuals for not being passionate enough to want to know because nobody showed me either. I just had the gift to gab and I got in the game. And then there's another portion of folks that just have not been exposed and have not had the access. When I went to Congressional Black Caucus training boot camp in 2010, a congresswoman had to send me. At that particular time, if you weren't nominated by someone who was running, who, who had an elected seat, you just didn't have access to that type of training. So I'm trying to change that, Rochelle, and be a place where people can feel comfortable, even those who disagree, to feel comfortable sending their folks to this training that will be year-round every year. Well, Tesla, we are so excited about that. Thank you again for coming here on Revolt Black News Weekly to share this information. Once again, the nonpartisan camp takes place in ATL on September 10th. Uh, stay with us. Our Revolutionary of the Week is next. We close things out by shining a spotlight on the black renegades making a difference for the culture as we roll out our revolutionary of the week. The couple behind two of Atlanta's most popular restaurants are teaming up for a bigger cause. And I come from West Philly. I come from a very dangerous city. But I also know that we was uh, lacked with a lot of limited resources. So a lot of my you know, buddies growing up, you know, where they was murdered or, or you know, incarcerated. I wanted to put out a mission that was going to help our brothers out, and that was life insurance because we only see it as a life and a death thing, but it's financial literacy. Derek, if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. Hayes, owner of Big Dave's Philly Cheesesteaks, along with his fiance, Pinky Cole, the owner of Slutty Vegan, saw a need to ease a financial burden impacting disadvantaged communities. We was actually just sitting in our living room one day, and we was like, you know, there's so many brothers out here, you know, losing their life to senseless deaths. And there's a lot of people out here that don't have life insurance because they got to go get GoFundMes or fish fries. We wanted to really help out with this initiative. And we, you know, we put our heads together and we said, how can we, you know, get Atlanta covered for black men being under $30,000 less in income? Pinky and Derek's passion in grassroots organizing is getting the infrastructure to help more people on a larger scale. By year 2023, we're trying to sign up 25,000 black men and we're going to do it. That's the mission. You know, we want people to understand that 
you know, it's very important to have life insurance because, you know, sad to say, it could, it could be a single mother out here and one of her children get murdered. It becomes now a financial burden on that person. And it doesn't stop at financial empowerment. The couple is also adding more wellness opportunities to drive the goal. It's just not life insurance. We got health and wellness. We got PCSD programs. We have financial literacy programs now. So we want to try to help you as best, best as we can. Whatever you like, we gain to help you out. Well, shout out and major props for the work being done. That does it for us. We'll see you next time. Bye. needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off ba da ba ba ba